0: Hi, welcome to Parenting the Edlerian Way. I'm your host, Edlerian Family Counselor and Parenting Expert Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Edlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, it's Allison. Welcome back to the podcast. I can already feel tears in my eyes. I'm so excited for this next conversation because you're going to meet my friend, Dr. Ben Rader. I'm going to read his formal bio and then I'm just going to give a more informal introduction to my friend. But uh, you need to know the accomplishments of this man. Uh, So so Ben goes by the pronouns he, his, I go by she, her. I'm so glad we're making that a more formal part of our introductions. Uh, Ben started his work serving families in 1998 when he began work as a job assistant and a counselor program in a community in Ohio for a township with a high number of displaced workers. Before long, Ben became aware of the role that economic downshift played in the problems experienced by persons in his caseload, such as domestic conflict, depression, and substance use. Later, Ben found further community-based work serving youth in the city of Columbus. In his role, he witnessed again how social circumstances across the city impacted upon the choices, outcomes, and worldview of adolescents that he served. Serving a diverse array of families from varied backgrounds across the city, Ben acquired a better understanding of how historic factors and larger systems shaped individuals' experience of self. Through his service work, Ben eventually came to realize that in order to truly help families beyond the limits and influence of social realities, he was going to need further training Drawing from his love of psychology, Ben sought opportunity to learn the theory and techniques of individual psychology, which led him to enroll in the Adler School for Professional Psychology in Chicago, Illinois, now the Adler University. Ben entered the doctoral program where he studied the practice of psychology and became acquainted with perspectives on social justice. Ben did his dissertation on resilient styles, demonstrated by persons overcoming homelessness, and graduated with his doctorate in 2008. Since then, Ben has worked in the city of Milwaukee with a varied career servicing refugees, urban youth, and the residents of assisted living homes. He has served as an adjunct professor of the Graduate in Counseling Program at Mount Mary University, and has served as a mental health consultant both for the Area Head Start Program, as well as Milwaukee's Wraparound Program. In 2012, Ben started Milwaukee's Affiliate for Social Living M-A-S-L, if you're looking it up, we'll put links, of course, in the show notes, with a group of colleagues from Sebastian Family Psychology Practice. He's active with the Wisconsin Psychological Association's public education campaign and has put together dozens of professional trainings. He has publications in the Journal of Individual Psychology and has organized community trainings and public education opportunities across the state. Ben is the director of Psychological Purposes, where he sees clients and families, both in his private practice and in home, as well as community settings. He also serves as the director of the Psychological Service Center at the Wisconsin School of Professional Psychology, where he also serves as a member of the core faculty. When he's not working, apparently there's sometimes when he's not working, <laughs> he enjoys time with his wife and his two kids, Ben my i'm you are a treasured friend thank you so much for joining the podcast
3: well thank you for having me and i'm um uh delighted to be here this is uh you're smiling and i'm uh reciprocating this and maybe maybe they can hear it in the radio waves here but uh, i've been super stoked about being on this so this is great
0: well um i we met through uh, NASAP, which is the North American Association of uh, Adlerian Psychology. And for people that don't know that organization, again, anything we talk about that I can link to, I will put in the show notes. Um, but, you know, we often talk about what are the benefits of joining NASAP? You know, one of the benefits is you get to meet like minded people and you get to meet people that are doing amazing things in the world. And I consider you really one of our treasures. And I, I'm, we work with a very different population. Um, and so I, and I, I've been to many of your workshops. I learned so much about what you were doing and um so this is a real treat for me to be able to bring some of your teachings and learn of, of which can i just say to people i will have you on again and again and again because when i said you were on holidays you're like no, nope, talk to me after the holidays you put up good boundaries you are on family time um but uh but i said what is going what is interesting to you right now because you're always pursuing different interesting things and so we could we could have a conversation about a bunch of intellectual Adlerian concepts and tenets. Uh, but I said, what is going on for you right now that you're on fire for, that you're interested in, that you're delving into, um, that is that is something that is speaking to you at this moment? Um, because as Adlerians, it's it's a little bit like people that, I don't know, study Stoic philosophy or get into religion where you read the books over and over again and you learn them deeper and deeper. So I said, what's on fire for you right now? And your chosen topic was around this idea of chosen family so I'm gonna throw this over to you and say what are you on fire for Ben why'd you pick this topic take
3: the charge yeah so chosen families thank you for uh that kind of lead in I'm um I am on fire about this topic this is something that really we have I've been um and without without I think a a, a handle on it like chosen families this is something I've been cognizant of throughout the entire my entire experience as a, a psychologist and prior to that a therapist youth counselor but the idea is ultimately and adler uh, certainly understood this that we choose our our relationships of belonging in society and um and and when we start forming families as uh, young adults or whatever um at, in um creating an actual family for ourselves oftentimes either as a remedy for what we got or we didn't get in childhood, and sometimes as an extension, a way of continuing that experience that we had in, in early childhood. So I've always had this kind of sense, there's a point in our life where we start looking um, outside of our traditional family and we start reaching reaching out for um, new family, new connections. However, with some Youth. This has to start a lot earlier. Uh, child displacement, um, loss of parents, involvement of social service entities—you know—all these these horrible, heavy things that youth have to cover leaves them showing up to school without a basic answer for within themselves. Who's my family? To whom do I belong?
0: Is, is that so let me drill down a little bit there, because I get the idea that, you know, um, social belonging and where do I belong? How do we differentiate from the belonging that is only serviced by family, chosen or not? versus peer group, or, you know, um, I have an identity that I am part of this high school, or I am part of this, whatever, swim club, or what makes it family as opposed to just belonging in a group?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think families are, is our, as humans, it's the, it's the earliest form of our social embeddedness. And we can't, we are all born into something now it may be that that thing is removed at birth and then we're placed in another scenario or whatever but there's this this sense of um uh Im- embeddedness necessarily in the family that is different i sense from these other places and and part of it is is that later on in life when we're joining the basketball team for instance or we're part of this uh, high school or or that high school, we're already we're entering into that experience with a pre-existing experience of self that came from some sort of family type thing. So it's a constant reference for us. Family is it's a it's a way that we're always kind of going back in our so our own internal social rolodex. We're kind of going back to say, okay, am I the funny one? Am I the uh, creative one? Am I the uh, leader or whatever? So that when I when I move into that basketball team or when I move into that high school, I've got kind of a template that I can I can follow. So family belonging and I think family embeddedness for for um, for youth is almost like something that is a pre assumption. You don't you're not you're not a you don't have to join your family like you have to join the basketball team. You're not enrolling in your family the way you enroll in school, you know. So it uh, it's a it's, it offers a, a much more foundational and embedded sense of of a relationship. And even if it's strained or in some ways negative, you know it's a part of you.
0: So how do you how do you know if you're the funny one or the 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 peacemaker or the how does one find their role in their family? How do they find their embeddedness? Well, we
3: create it. A- as, as, as well as we find it you know, on the, the um, idea of kind of looking at uh, your response, the way that people react to you in the way that you're as a, as a young person interpreting that type of thing. Uh, but we will often find people in life who um, it's, it's a constant quest. You know, it, it isn't always, it isn't always clear and transparent to us what that role is family systems can be complex and this is kind of where this idea of chosen families start for me starts coming in because you may find uh for instance let's take somebody whose life um life development is not as as linear as what i think we often assume when we're working with somebody as clinicians at an intake but let's say someone's born into a biofamily, family uh bio family has rights terminated right away and early in life they're placed in maybe an adoptive or a foster setting so they have this basic sense of embeddedness and belonging in this family that has taken them in and they may become the funny one they may become the the creative one they may become the leader or whatever in that little in that bubble and that starts shaping their identity but somewhere along the way they're given this new information okay and we have we saw you, we, we, uh, we, we have acquired you through circumstances that happened before you were a part of the system. And before you're part of the system, you're a part of a different system. And here, even at as a toddler or as a, um, a seven or eight year old child, there's a choice. In my mind, I can continue being the funny one, the leader, or whatever that I found my role to be in this new family system. Or I start taking this narrative that you're now sharing me for the first time about this other family, and I start constructing in the big questions I have in my mind of who these people were, why did it not work out, where are they now, I start creating another story around belonging and perhaps loss. I'm also a family of this system, too. I start realizing. Or this, or, or just as I thought for these first few years, life is predictable and manageable and uh under my control. Now all of a sudden there's a new information that life maybe can also be dangerous. Life can have loss, life can put me at risk. So I have, you know, this this developed sense of who I am from my socialization with this family, but that now I've got new information.
0: And I can kind of go down that path. But to your point, it's a choice, right? Because some people can say, oh, appar- apparently I was put up for adoption, but this family chose me, loved me, and I-, I only think of myself, and I don't know what that was about. And other people will perseverate and say, oh, my God, who didn't love me? Why yes. was I discarded? Hmm. And that's a, personal ch- that's a personal creative choice. That doesn't come down to, you know, if you tell your kids their story of their origin in the right way, they will or won't be traumatized by it. Like like there's a part part where you have to let go of the fact that humans are creative choice makers and we have to let go of the amount of control we have over their interpretation of events. Right. It's not like if you would have told them a year earlier or if everyone was sitting together, maybe it would have landed better. Like a lot of it is just the child deciding what to make of that. Right.
3: Yeah, I, I like that, and, and in fact, what I would say, uh, kind of to uh, modify that, I, I suspect is that you know if I if I stub my toe, then there may, may be a choice, a clumsy choice, perhaps that I've chosen to walk in the dark or something like that. But it doesn't feel like a, a choice necessarily whether I grab my my foot and and cry or if I yell at the table. You know, these are things that uh, almost happen. They're decisions we make. That's a word you made that are very quick and. And especially when we're young, they're shrouded by um, a lot of uncertainties and and we don't have a verbal or uh, uh, cognitive comprehension of what's happening. So we're making these decisions oftentimes early in life. But you're right. I've met people. I'm adopted and this is my family, period. Period. And then I've met, and am I killing my own caseload, I've served people who are still searching for their family 80 or 90 years later that they had lost when they were born. And it continues to be, in, in, uh you know, with somebody who's 80 years old, it continues to be a, a topic that we'll have to revisit time and time again in the sense of, um, you know, where am I and how do, how do I belong? The idea of choice and families, then, is I'm using it, and it becomes somewhat of a creative uh, or uh, 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 an intervention at this point, is at some point you can help the person identify whatever family they feel they may have experienced initially, and you can gather some data about that, uh, and that might be the birth family, and they they may even just give you. Uh, what they think happened without any knowledge, but that's still important because if they think it and that they believe it, that's what's registering internally for them. That's the narrative that they have around it, and then they might share a little bit about where they were, um, you know, adopted or the foster family they had or whatever. But ultimately, they end up with kind of a confusing mixed bag of who's my family. So what we what we do with the chosen family inventory is we start asking them to identify the people that they are that are important to them now.
0: Can and can I? Sorry to interrupt, but I just want to make sure that our listeners understand. This isn't something that just occurred. Picking a chosen family isn't just about people that were put up for adoption.
3: No, that's <laughs> absolutely true. And, and yeah. I would say, for instance, uh, and I'm using that as an an illustration, just because I think it kind of gives that it makes that point. But you know, let's say that uh, uh, I was not happy, or I had some struggles in my uh, in my bio family of of of. Uh, uh, birth that I'm, you know, my family that I've been born into and growing up throughout life, you know, maybe, Maybe you're, I was yeah, you're
0: gay. You're you were you were raised to Mormon parents in Utah and it turns out that you're gay and they disown you. And you right, like yeah, you yeah. might at 18 uh, have to build a new family structure, right? Like just to give people the understanding of like the, the variety of experiences that we're talking about here. But we all have to solve for this idea of family at some point in time, organic uh, or chosen. Trans youth pri- prime example is
3: that, you, you know, you're no longer identifying and uh, he him you're now identifying in she her and your family knows you as a he have him they 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 the habit of thinking is too strong the religious predilections whatever uh that they may have that makes it difficult for them to transition with you they've uh, you're serving a role in their um constellation also as a he him in the system and it's hard for them to give that up but as you start realizing I need to be a healthy person. At that point in your life, you start choosing your own family. And so, what I would start doing with my with my with my uh, trans clients or my LGBT in general clients or um, you know twenty somethings who are just kind of finding their own identity after having done whatever, I'll, I'll uh, uh, collect from them the people that are most important still to them. Now, very often they're still. Biological or foster or adoptive family members that are part of this, but almost always there's an add-in. And, and in my own family, growing up, there was it seemed to me there's always an add-in. Somebody shows up that becomes like family, and our family just kind of took people in, you know. So it, you know, it, it, depending on the era, if we were doing a family constellation and trying to figure out who is in, you know, maybe there'll be honorable mention given to the neighbor who is over all the time. Uh, which we fought with and and played with like a sibling so these are these for for my own uh understanding is that uh we we need to be very inclusive and deliberate when we're collecting information from people about who their families, not just who they were but who they who their families are now and you can even ask them and for me, this has been very enlightening is if you ask when was this family established.
0: Oh, yeah. Great question. Yeah. And and
3: the family, uh, the family might be established um, when I went to college and I first met my new partner. Or the family was established established when we all got that apartment together and we started working. You know, Uh, the family was established when I moved out of my home, you know, but the idea is, uh, as you get people to share a little bit of who their chosen family is. And then you even let them start creating a narrative around, uh, when did it start? Why did it start? What's most important to your chosen family? And then I have questions, how is this, how could you see this as a continuation of your earlier family experience? And in what ways might it be a correction of your earlier family experience? So, you know, when we get to this point where we're where someone's fumbling and they're trying to figure out who they were throughout childhood or whatever, which can also be very discouraging. You know, some of us, I have a feeling, uh, Allison. what I know of you, in fact, I know the answer is because you actually told me this before. You've, you, you knew your personality and, you know, your, your, your space in the family early
0: on. And yeah, it was pretty and, well, I, I had a pretty easy circumstance to figure all that out. <laughs> the yeah, you baby of the family, the only dining. girl. <laughs> yeah.
3: And the youngest, you know, and that and that never changes, you yeah. know, but but as a middle child, I was I was the youngest at one point, And then I was older than someone else. You know, so, you know, even within traditional family systems, uh, an oldest child is the oldest and then the and then the and then the only and then the oldest. And those are very different. So, you know, in, in reality, it isn't it, it, it's we're It fumbling with our identity. We're trying to figure out belonging throughout childhood. It's only when we look back at it that we have kind of a shorthand way of saying, well, I was the middle or I was the only or I was the only girl in a family of boys, what have you. Uh, but in, in 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 the process, it's very confusing, and how much more confusing when when large variables are thrown at that family and they start changing, and we're at a disadvantage sometimes is that when we when we want to walk into that uh, lifestyle constellation, family constellation early thing, and we're almost carrying some social assumptions and biases about what a normal family looks like. Um, and I've realized that you may have to click care, collect four or five different family constellations from one person, and you'll realize is that there'll be some continuity between them, but there's also some great changes. You know, we, we move children from one context to the other because context matters. There's a place where maybe I was having to act out to belong, and later on, I was able to shine and be who I was, and they supported me, and it was you know, the same person, but the context changes and how we think about ourselves changes in those contexts.
0: I, I have to tell you, uh, and not to take us down a rabbit hole of of, of this, but just uh, I'm afraid I'm, not, I'm I am in the middle of reading Trevor Noah's autobiography. Yes. If you have not read it.
3: I'm excited or just hearing this. Tell me about it. Uh,
0: yeah, because I did not know the experience of being a biracial child in south africa as nelson mandela was taking down apartheid and understanding to not belong because i'm not neither am i black nor am i white uh you know how um all the exceptionalities the again about language color treatment um it it couldn't be more heightened all the concepts yes. that we're talking about but it's just all elevated because of the time and place and his situation yes um, yes So, so fascinating. Um, I I really, I really encourage people to read it through this lens of how does one find their place and belonging?
3: Yeah, I I love that. Actually, Trevor did a really nice interview with uh, David Letterman on My Next Guest Is. Oh, I love that show. Yeah. Right. But don't watch it because you're reading the book right now. Wow.
0: Read the book. Okay, I'm just going to stick with the book.
3: The book. You is don't crazy. want any spoilers, I imagine. And, and but he, uh, but David Letterman does a really good job too. But you're you're right. You know. So in, and then you opened up a whole bunch of things, and that is like looking at the larger social context that's outside of that family.
0: And, and that's know? what got you intrigued by this concept, right? You know, you were, you were, that's and exactly psychology what Psychology is social psychology, right? We're not, it's called individual yes. psychology and that's a bit of a misnomer, right? But it's very much a social psychology and you've always looked at it through that lens. So say more about that.
3: Well, it's for me, it just became, you know, like I started seeing people when I was in these um, early as Marion, Ohio, where I was working, they used to have a big shovel factory, it had gone down at some point in time before I got there. And, and, and it was interesting, because things like I just saw substance use, depression, anxiety, and all this. And it's like, there was this elephant in the room that that probably the community was too close to and I was coming from Columbus at the time to work there. Um that no one was able to completely um, articulate how this loss of business and this loss of work, from my standpoint, clearly factored into these people being depressed. Now, we it was a jobs assistance and mentoring program, so we had to find jobs for the people, jobs that didn't exist. So, would get load people up in my car, and the time I had a a a, a leased Volkswagen, I was like, a, I think it was a, a nineteen ninety nine Volkswagen Beetle. And I was taking families in this, so I had, you know, you know, some of these three children in the it crammed in the back seat, and some parent are driving around for job interviews that they didn't get, you know, wh- where they didn't have a high school diploma or whatever to begin with, because the school systems weren't in great shape at the time, or they were the underperforming schools at this. A student at the school, so they didn't have much chances. So, so I started looking at like, well, I know why these people are depressed, you know, and of course a job would help them, but we don't have jobs to get them. So it was, you know, for me it was just kind of a, 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 an eye opener. And it, and I remembered I had maybe a class or two on Adler in undergraduate, and I said Alfred Adler was talking about this stuff and the social embeddedness and how that shapes their identity. And I said this is the stuff that we need to be talking about. And I love cognitive behavioral therapy and we use those techniques with people with uh, positive thinking, whatever it is that we could get people going. Um, now the thing that really helped the most though, is we started having family nights at this, um, uh, it was an old, it used to be a hotel, a motel that was um, shut down and they had extra space. And we'd have family nights, we would invite our families over and we wouldn't talk about jobs and we wouldn't talk about job readiness. And we wouldn't talk about work because we knew that didn't work would figure out how to uh, wrap up uh, uh, hot dogs in croissant rolls and have uh, a cheap meal for families. would watch uh, funny videos that they couldn't rent because they didn't have money and the kids could sit down together and we gave them community. And yeah. and those are the things I, again, I had no training at that time in learning psychology. I had this vague notion, but the sense of belonging and community and and working with the whole family and Uh, And even parenting at the time, I think probably most of what would be focused on at that time would have been um, discipline, consequences and rewards, which are all fine. But these families were fundamentally discouraged and so were their kids. So it was like we just were oftentimes rubbing their nose in the fact that they couldn't work and that they were screwing up parenting on top of it because they didn't have consequences. Well, they didn't have rewards because they had no money to reward their kids with. So it's like, you know, all the things that I later learned about Adler, uh, it was the, the struggles of working in that in that environment where I realized families were really trying to make it and there wasn't many options for them that got me looking deeper into the social embeddedness and how social circumstances shape how people experience themselves.
0: Tying that back to chosen families, um, we've got society that does not make factors great. But here we've got somebody who's struggling against the odds you know they're going to their community nights and they're having their 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 kids are watching videos and laughing now and they're learning how to make a, a, a cheap dinner um, but maybe they've come from turmoil in the past and we're trying to show them a way forward we're trying to show them the embeddedness like you know instead of hanging out with the gangs or you know, <laughs> yeah. you know uh, making yes. money on the black market how do we show them the pro-social side of life how do we how do we find their embeddedness in social ways when life life forces Seems to be against a lot of these people.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. And if you were to ask those people, i going back in my in my uh, memory now to maybe 2000, 2001, or something. And if we were to ask, I'm imagining in time machine, I go back and ask those families during that time period who who were your chosen family now. I have a funny feeling some of the other family members that were showing up at that at the family night from other from the across town, from a different background that maybe they didn't know already, now all of a sudden they start populating their chosen family inventory. Now they start saying, well, I have a sister, but you're like a sister too. Or we do this thing every week. And and, it's, it, and we don't have to look at it in the form of formal services and social services. People do this all the time with their faith groups. They join a group and this is, becomes their new thing. Or for me now, my son's in Cub Scouts, And we've created a little chosen family with our pack. You know, we see people on the community. We say, hey, hi, however. So what's kind of neat about this is it can be applied in different ways. And what's interesting is where you're asking these questions will probably start populating some of those things. If you ask somebody this at church, they're likely to put church members down. If you ask them in the Cub Scout group, you'll start seeing that they're identifying with that. And it's like, I think our sense of family and community, this need for family is so embedded. Uh, and I know, oh, Allison, you've seen this before, but for me, I kept noticing is how many times people would say my other mother. And I would say, wait, now, hold on. <laughs> Who's that? Oh, it's the lady down the street or it's my boyfriend's mom or it's somebody that in the community took me in when I needed some help. You know, but people we we were, were quite liberal at, at times with the use of the term brother and sister and mother and father and grandfather these are things that we might start applying to people in our hearts and if we aren't miss if we miss that relationship as therapists we're really missing an important aspect of this person
0: so when we're as a therapist doing somebody's intake and and whatever we're starting to like draw out the, the the family diagram. And I'm, and people kind of laugh when they say like, do you have any pets? Because I'm like, that's actually a significant family member or do you have a live-in nanny or, you know, we we need to ask that question so broad and wide that we're saying, who are the, who are the people of influence in your life? that's Um, It it doesn't have to have a DNA dotted line. It's who who, do you take influence from?
3: 100%. And I I would recommend too, in general, you want to start with that uh begin with where the person's at now you know figure out that that objective situation what's happening now who is your chosen family now and you can use that term with somebody who's 80 years old you can use that and has a large family that they've created or you can use that term with somebody who's in transition in life and trying to figure all that out and as soon as they do now they've they've owned in that hour They've put language to these relationships that they're now valuing in a different way. And they might not have even branded it that way. And now what you can do is now that they have this family that they've chosen, they have the courage. They can go back and delve into that earlier family that often is um, the source of so much persisting uncertainty, but they already came up with the solution in the chosen family. We just have to encourage it. And at times we may, help redirect or guide it. Or we may even point out how much this family has perpetuated the dynamics of this family and how might this family today evolve to help solve those problems from before. But the reality is if people have a certain sense of embeddedness right now or or more certain or more clear, you can get to the heart of understanding earlier life experiences um, without so much of a, a you know, a risk of alienating the person from a sense of identity and belonging, because so oftentimes early childhood can be very alienating for people and, and confusing, you know, that's a, people are here for a reason.
0: And so, you know, I I love what you're saying about making it a formalizing and even ritualizing um, a conscious decision to create by choice your family at any age and stage in the process. Yes. Um, and that by, we might do it through happenstance. It might not be until a counselor asks you the question, who are yes. these people in your life? But when you actually start to identify, then you, then you, you know, you realize, hold on a second here. Oh, um, I actually do have these chosen people in my life. And and it's empowering to say this is my chosen sister. Yes. And it's empowering to say I don't spend Christmas with those people or Thanksgiving with those people anymore because I had a torturous childhood, but I actually have a chosen family. Yes. Um, of these, this is my chosen auntie and this is my chosen sister and this is my chosen whatever. And I am fully supported in my, in my, in this authentic version of myself self. and I do have family it's just not the one I was born into
3: not the one I was born into and it might be my cat yeah. toootss and my dog Ralph you know but yes yeah. it, but if that's what it is and there is so much information about pets you know that I've gotten about individuals I learn about them through their pets and understanding how they approach that so of course you know if somebody says does this count my answer is always yes you know, and whatever you're identifying with right now. It's also interesting, though, is that um, you'll catch, to how people assess the amount of supports they have right now. And I noticed that in the homeless shelters, actually when, we were, when I was doing my dissertation, one of the questions was, who, who are the sources of support that you have now? And I'll never forget this. I interviewed two people in one day, And one of them said, I have so much great support. I've got my sister, I've got my mom, and I've got the social worker here, who they name by name, that's been so helpful to me. And I'm so blessed. And then an hour later, I sit down with someone, I asked them the same question. And they said, really, no one. All I have is my mom, my sister, and then they named the same social worker by name. (laughs) And they said, and that's all I've got in this world. And for me, it was just a light bulb went on, you know, because it is, it's oftentimes how we uh, view the resources that we have around us. Are they enough? You know, and that gives me information right there. You know, the chosen family concept people may be kind of complaining that this is the only chosen family that they have or they're celebrating it you know and that gives us more information than how many how many names we're putting in the slots or whether those are biological relatives or whether they're friends it's the attitude around that and that's really what we're trying to figure out then you know it might be that this person is trying to re-family at this point in time they're coming to us and they've got to Uh, a chosen-ish family, but they maybe want to choose another family now, or they want to improve some things about those relationships, or this is good enough, you know, and we build off of those resources, and maybe the thing that they're needing help with is is work, or confidence, or education, or something else, but this chosen family is the thing that we lean back on, so there's kind of a, I guess, a diagnostic, if, if, if another way of describing it, benefit these questions, too, is you kind of start figuring out how do they feel about what is their current chosen family, and what do we need to do about it as a as a uh, in a professional relationship? The last questions always end up then around, um, you know, do, who do we need to involve in your treatment and services, or are there things that you'd like to work on within your chosen family to make it a, uh, a more preferred chosen family, something of that nature? And uh, and people once they've had the chance to kind of outline who this is involving and who they want to include in therapy and what they want to address, even the, even problems within chosen family within an hour or so can start feeling, okay, well, this is manageable. You know, there's something that I'm unhappy with about this relationship that I'm in right now, but I can articulate to you what it is. And I can get some support if not from them, at least from you in trying to sort it out.
0: You know, we, we have to give a lot of um encouragement around the idea that um, people can present as not wanting to create their own chosen family because they might have some very early wiring around the idea that a good daughter or son would never disown a parent or be disloyal to the family or there's a narrative that says you can't put up a boundary um, and yet they suffer again and again and again at the hands of these people that might have intergenerational, multi generational traumas and inabilities to, to show up in somebody's life, not for any fault of their own, but the idea of, you know, it might be healthier for you to trim, trim the dead branches of the tree of life and start (laughs) having generative branches in a direction that's healthier for you. And there can be such a sense of disloyalty. How could I not take care of my bipolar mother? How could I not, you know, put up the bail for my father or whatever the situation might be? What kind of person would I be if I didn't show up in that way? Yeah. Um,
3: Yeah. Yeah. I I love it. And the other thing though, that you're also triggering me is that sometimes, family in and of itself is a big enough of a trigger world where I would advise you just to leave it alone. You know, and at at times that's just the better solution. You know, you're almost because what family means is bad boundaries for this person. What family means is a sense of constant obligation and indebtedness to other people who don't appreciate me. Family might have such baggage that we just unfamily them. You know and and in a, in a system that often looks at the family as the solution, it's also oftentimes the problem to a lot of situations and so many of us just decide I'm not I'm not gonna I don't need a partner and you don't need a partner. I don't need a I don't need kids I don't need I don't need to create brothers or sisters with people. I've got friends that's something different. So whatever it is, or I choose not to have those even because they'll stab you in the back. But the reality is, I suppose. Is that you don't want to use a word or a concept that give that you have to spend more time and energy trying to um, uh, diffuse, uh, and you want to be able to welcome in a new version of it and allow the person to create that. And but if it seems like that concept itself is just too heavy, the idea is you can also go in a different direction because therapy gives us a lot of choices. And I don't have I've got a I've got really great questions to ask. People when I'm meeting with them. But when I first sit down, I don't know which questions I'm going to ask, frankly. Because there's, you know, the, the the individual and what they're bringing in and how they're talking gives us clues as to whether or not that's even something we wanna, we wanna go down right now. And um it's a it's a real nice way that choice and families, a real nice thing to kind of do early-ish in the uh process and to have it set up as if it's part of the intake, but then you you read it and you kind of watch the nonverbals and you see, does this seem like um, uh, an avenue to go down? Are we going to do work within this chosen family or use this concept or are we going to just walk away, like use it to collect some data? I learned a little bit more about this person and now I realize the whole idea of family is treacherous and we're going to approach some things in a different way. And that uh, identity can be created in other ways and it doesn't always have to be through affiliations.
0: So, so if somebody is, is lacking in social connection and social embeddedness and, and maybe because of their early childhood experiences, they have, in Adlerian terms, a private logic that says, I don't belong anywhere. Yeah, I didn't belong in my original family of origin. Therefore, I belong nowhere. Do those people still have a fighting chance of changing their private logic and finding a, a family of choice? Even if the for, like, it, do you know what I mean? If it, it, it's one thing to say, find your people. But if you have a, a, a private logic that says, I have no people.
3: Yeah, yeah, then,
0: <laughs> I don't it, belong anywhere. Can we can we can we address that private logic?
3: Yeah, it's 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 tricky, but oftentimes the clue will be is that it pains persons so that they're alone. And I'll have people that will say to me, "I don't trust anybody," and yet also I'm plagued with loneliness. So loneliness is a clue there. You know, it's an idea that maybe there's something that they're yearning for, and it gives me a sense of I'm going to hit pause on that a little bit but it suggests to me that what we're really wanting is belonging without rejection. And I would say for, you know, in general, the idea of uh, Adlerian psychology is is non-prescriptive, and we're not trying to tell people what their problem is, and we're not trying to tell people we have the answers to, to solutions. But it is difficult in this world if you're gonna be an island onto yourself, as Adler would have pointed out, it's difficult for us to get our needs met. We can't make our own clothing, we can't make our own food entirely, you know, and there are people I think that learn how to do this stuff, farm the land, live in their own space, have a a limited sense of social contact. And and the assumption that all these people are doing this stuff are unhealthy and it's problematic, I think, is also problematic. And you know, there's a lot of assumptions, a lot of assumptions in that. But I'm always looking for the clues of suffering. If someone's discontent, unhappy, feeling alienated and marginalized, those are clues that even though they may be saying, I don't want to belong, they're actually just saying to me, I can't handle being rejected one more time. But the fellowship that begins is the fellowship with a the therapist, you know. So we don't have to find another thing for them to befriend. Um, Maybe they'll buy a fish or a hamster and they can start there. But, you know, I'd like to think uh, in therapy, we're a little bit better than fish or hamsters.
0: (laughs) Something's got to give us some payback for how much we put into our MAs.
3: (laughs) Undoubtedly. And when I'm sitting there across from a person and they're sharing that with me, I'm also uh, I'm also uh, realizing how. Here, this person is not trusting anybody, trusting me with the most important vulnerabilities in their lives. So, don't miss it. You know, we we get focused sometimes as clinicians on you know. So, where are we going to lead them? Well, they're here for a reason. This is where this is where it's going to begin, and you're going to work in this moment to develop trust, to do, to to clarify what they're wanting to see you know how does that how are you experiencing that but also not to come with our own preconceived agenda that everybody has to be out in society running for mayor somewhere because it you know the world needs people that are going to be um more on the sides we need people that are going to that are going to take lives that are going, who are going to take a different uh, approach to life to fill different again basically filling different social social needs an accountant is as uh, a, an honest accountant is as socially embedded as uh, as an honest president
0: yeah you know i, it, it, I told you you're gonna i told you i was weepy at the beginning of the call and you made me weepy there again ben because i think what you just said is so important which is as therapists when we you know we have such a privileged occupation i don't know if people understand that i mean obviously yeah, the therapists yeah. that are listening are going to get that but i don't know if if the the parents that are listening understand like it is such a privileged occupation yeah. to be able to sit down with such a diversity of human beings and to be in a relationship with them that may be the first and only healthy functioning relationship that they have ever had. And that is enough. Yes, And so when we say that everything comes down to relationship and that relationships are therapeutic, it doesn't have to be a relationship that is moving anywhere and getting you to do anything. And it's, it yeah. doesn't have to be this goal oriented thing. Yeah. It yes. literally is healing for people to be in relationship and, uh, and be in community. But that community of one could start in the counseling office, you know, and then it grows to like you said, to a goldfish or to a hot dog party at the community <laughs> center or whatever.
3: Yes, yes. Yes, and it may take years. And it kind of as a, as you know, a, somewhat of a, a finalizing thought. One of the things I realize I ask my clients a lot when we're starting therapy: Are you here for surgery, or are you coming to the gym?
0: <laughs> I love that. On oh, using that, <laughs> and
3: uh, and you could also say if they're faith-oriented persons, going to church, but the idea is, uh, or synagogue, or wherever but yeah. the idea is you know for some relationships we're we're getting in we're figuring out what the problem is and i think a lot of our our are like this i want to send them back out into the world and get on with my, get on with the show of course adler was a moving target so his psychology i think was created around quick relationships meaningful embeddedness getting people to understand themselves moving them on not everybody's organized that way so if they're going in for surgery they want to figure out what's wrong with them they want language for it they want tools and strategies and they want to get that problem taken care of and go on with their life. And some people just need a place, a holding space that they can come back to. And whether you can take that client or not, sometimes determine term is based off of how good of a match is your therapeutic style for what they're really looking for. And if they're looking for surgery and you want to move them out the door, and that's what you're really good at, and you've got a lot of clients coming in and going all the time. You know, you're really starting something that you can you can take on and complete. But if you're realizing that your your client is needing a longer term relationship, and without that they'll feel abandoned, and without that they'll feel pushed aside or whatever, you can have an upfront conversation about that early on. You can say, okay, well, if that's what you're looking for, my schedule's a little tight, and maybe we'll need to do it every other week. In order for it to work but i want to be able to commit to it or you know i've got a colleague i think i'd like to meet and involve them and maybe at some point you hand them off but the reality is not everybody's coming for a quick fix and we have to understand that if you're if uh, and that's not a bad thing it's like so many of us just need a place to sort things out and we need it every week and if that's what we can offer in a therapeutic hour you don't need short concise goals you just have to have a real steady relationship
0: yeah Um, let me throw this back to you and say, we've we've covered a lot of ground here and there's, I, again, I could pick five, 15, 20 different topics and dig in as deeply with you, but on this particular topic, is there anything that you feel that we, you know, you wouldn't have closure on or someone would be missing if if I want to give you the final word on the topic?
3: Well, I sense for me, chosen family is something we best, we can best understand if you're looking First, it's your own life experience. So so, so as we're looking at this concept and as people are thinking about this, uh, I, I would invite and encourage you not just to look at it from the standpoint of,, um, okay, this is something I'm going to do in a therapeutic setting, but to 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 really take yourself to task and to think about where is your chosen family? Think about today. Who, if if you were asked this question, who populates, who resonates, who is important to you? And then hit pause and figure out, well, what does that what does that say about myself, my priorities, and where I need to be focusing my energy right now in life? Because so oftentimes the things that are most important to us, this chosen family, we can, we can, it can get lost in the haze. So, prior to trying this on your clients, try it on yourself and start looking at how this this type of thing feels, and then start looking at looking for those connections because you're going to see them once you can uh, once once you can uh, identify with them a little bit more, and then you'll have kind of a script for, you know, well, how do we make something like this work? Because I'm I'm hoping most of us that are helping feel feel have enough chosen family and supports around us that we're keeping ourselves healthy. And we kind of know what that looks like. And using using your own experience, awakening your curiosity, your own experience, I think allows you then have a better foundation to to guide people in a healthy and constructive way of finding their own chosen family.
0: And if uh, if they're listening, I would like to honor my chosen sister, Colette, and my chosen brother, Dirk. (laughs) of which I have (laughs) two, very consciously chosen and celebrated. Um, uh, Let me also just give you a chance, Ben, again, knowing that I'm going to have you back and we'll talk more, but right now, what are, take a moment, if people want to follow you, what are you involved in? How do people keep the conversation going? Take a moment here to do a little self-promotion and I'll put everything in the show notes.
3: I got some brain food for you on, um, maslcommunity.org maslcommunity.org and that kind of outlines how I approach things and you'll see it's kind of an interactive uh, platform. Um, and we uh, we update it from time to time, but it's largely kind of a uh, an, an interactive tool to kind of get an idea of look, looking at social context and how it shapes us uh, and go to the personal growth section to kind of to learn more. Uh, I'm going to be presenting. so if you're in the Milwaukee area or if you want if you want to travel, Uh, The Children of Color Welfare Conference is going to be happening in 2023. It only happens every so often, uh, but it's happening in 2023, and I'm pulling it up here right now, on May 24th. And it's it's going to be a a local conference, an in-person conference. I will be presenting there, and I'm really looking forward to getting out again. It's just a fabulous conference um conference and I encourage people to look it up and to and to come and join um and partake. And then I'm also going to be presenting next at uh this year's NASAP in Colorado. And the date, uh, allison you maybe you know offhand, it's uh I think it's in June this year. Yeah. It looks like the first uh first uh week of June, the first Thursday and, and Friday pre-conference is on Thursday the first and then the conference is on um Is is on the second and the third, um, and there'll be a post conference on the fourth. So I'm doing I'm uh, doing the post
0: conference, but I'll see you there. I will be in Colorado. I'm
3: I'm looking forward to it. But we'll be presenting on uh, on topics. uh, We won't be talking about chosen family. We're talking talking concepts that are very compatible. uh, So if you had any interest in this, please uh, come and see us uh, when we're presenting in person. My friend Dr. Rocky Erickson and I will be presenting.
0: Fantastic. I can't, I can't wait. And I'm going to, I have to get Rocky on the podcast too. So put in a good word, nudge him and let him know. Oh, I certainly
3: will. Yeah. I'm (laughs) sure he probably doesn't need a good word. He's yeah. He'd be encouraged to go. I'm sure.
0: Yeah. I can't thank you enough for your friendship, for your wisdom, for how much you put out into the world, into your community. Uh, Honestly, you're a treasure of a human being. Thank you. Thank you so, so much.
3: Allison, I was so happy to be here and I'm looking forward to our next uh, conversation. You're right. There's a lot that uh, I feel we we can kind of share and go over together. and um, I'm just uh, uh, so appreciative and honored that you' you'd think to invite me. this is this was this was terrific. So thanks again. <laughs> Take care. <laughs>
0: As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast, so thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit.